الحمد لله وكفى وسلاما على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد So we're going to inshallah continue now and we're going to take a few steps back just because there were a lot of points that we hadn't covered um, So the next benefit of the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala that Ibn Qayyim Rahimahullah mentions is that it polishes away the heart's tarnish um, For the heart, the tarnish is heedlessness and passions while it's polished as the remembrance of Allah, repentance, and the seeking of forgiveness. So, uh, inevitably, as we go about the course of our day, we go about the course of our lives, our hearts become dark with, uh, with well, either sins that we make or anything that is other than Allah Ta'ala, it has an effect on our heart. And uh, so, as a result, the heart requires you know, frequent uh, monitoring and it requires frequent, um, frequent cleansing, you can say. And so one of the ways by which the heart is cleansed from the evils of sins or the effects of sin or from the effects of anything other than Allah is through abundant remembrance and the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala. And in particular, he mentions through the remembrance of Allah. So any form of remembrance of Allah Ta'ala has an effect on the heart in terms of uh, as a means of cleansing the heart. And then he also mentions repentance and the seeking of forgiveness. So tawbah and istighfar have a very profound effects on the cleansing of the heart. Tawbah has the, has, has the ability, a sincere tawbah, where a person sincerely turns back to Allah Ta'ala in, in repentance, it has the ability to, uh, you could say, um, give it like a, 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 complete, a complete restore type, type uh, a, a complete reset. It cleanses it to such an extent that you could, you could be sort of with a new heart altogether. Um, and istighfar is that, is that form of um, turning back to Allah Ta'ala that we perform every, that we should perform every single day. And this is why, uh, you know, the, the Prophet ﷺ himself, although he didn't commit any mistakes or any sins, and although his heart was pure, right? I mean, there's no darkness in the heart of the Prophet ﷺ. There was no dirt or tarnish on the heart of the Prophet ﷺ, right? But he himself mentions in hadith, sahih hadith, that he would do istighfar at least 70 times in a day. At least 70 times in a day, someone that has a pure, clean heart is doing istighfar. And the point, and so you can only imagine how much istighfar we need to be doing. The reason the Prophet, or at least one of the reasons the Prophet would do this is because to show us as his community of weak followers that make mistakes frequently and that fall into sin frequently and that are exposed um, to just anything other than Allah very frequently, that you too need to engage in istighfar regularly. It isn't something that you could do once in a while. It's something that you need to do consistently because inevitably your heart needs to be polished. It needs to be cleansed. So at least at least 70 times in a day. The Prophet in another hadith says that he does it 100 times in a day. And so, you know, at least um, at least 100 times in a day a person should spend doing istighfar. And our teachers mention at least 100 times in the morning and 100 times in the evening where you sit down and you uh, you sit down for a good 15 minutes, 10 minutes, you know, or so. And you just polish your heart with istighfar. Uh, or you cleanse your heart from of, of its of its tarnish. Astaghfirullah Rabbi min kulli dhambi wa atubu Or astaghfirullah. But you do that um, every single day. That there shouldn't be a day that goes by where we just let our heart accumulate all this all this filth. Um, so he says, for the heart, the tarnish is heedlessness and passions. Right. So all these desires, these nafsi desires that we have, and uh, and heedlessness of Allah. So. Heedlessness of Allah means that not even like sin, right? When we think about what is affecting my heart or causing trouble to my heart, we think that, okay, if I'm committing something that's haram, that's what's going to, uh, an, 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 a clear sin, that's what's affecting my heart. 
Um, but he's saying even heedlessness, time spent other than with Allah or th- other than through the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala. So that is, uh, so that too needs to be removed. It, that too needs to be removed. Uh, okay, so then that's what he mentions. The next thing. Um, it, it, meaning the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala, it erases sins and it repels them. For it is a good deed that is one of the import, that is of the impo- greatest importance, and good deeds drive away wrong. So, in addition to wiping away, you know, the effects of heedlessness and passion from our heart, in addition to that, it also erases sins and it repels them, pushes them away. For it is a good deed that is of the greatest importance. So good deeds by themselves affect the heart, right? And it, this is from the Quran. Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, إِنَّ الْحَسَنَاتِ يُذْهِبْنَ السَّيِّئَاتِ The verily uh, hasanat, which are righteous actions, these are um, these uh, repel away uh, uh, sins, right? The, this is the effect. And this is why, you know, the Prophet said, um, that when you perform something evil, when you make a mistake, when you sin, when you err against Allah Ta'ala, immediately, immediately follow it up by something that's good because that has the effect of wiping away the mistake that you just made, right? So it's actually like a form of istighfar, if you will. In fact, Allah Ta'ala, inshallah, will replace it with something that's actually good in your permanent record as well. So Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, in the hasanati sayyi'at, the verily righteous deeds or verily deeds in general, they uh, they remove or they wipe away sins. And um, and what is the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala except a good deed? Right? So we haven't even actually gotten to this point yet. But each time spent in the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala is an additional deed that we've performed that goes into our record. It's not just a state, it's actually an action. It's a conscious action to be in the state of remembrance of Allah Ta'ala. And so anytime you reflect upon Allah or you remember Allah or you, rep- you think about His great His greatness or you reflect upon His attributes or you turn back to Him in istighfar or in tawbah or in repentance or you turn to Him uh, needing help, I mean, these independently are good deeds. These independently are good deeds. So imagine what you're able to rack up in your, in your, in your record. Uh, so it has that effect as well that you're adding deeds to your record. Um, Allah Taala says this is a reminder for those people that that um, for, for the dhakirin for those people that are that remember Allah Taala. So don't forget, you know that uh, that this that each time spent in Allah's remembrance is actually a time. Sorry, is actually a deed that's performed, a righteous deed that's performed. It doesn't have to be that in order to earn deeds, right, hasanat, that you have to recite Qur'an, although that is a form of dhikr. But it's not that you have to help someone else. It's not that you have to physically go to the masjid. It could just be that for, this, for these next couple of minutes, I'm just going to think about my Allah. And that'll be my deed for the next hour, right? I mean, that it counts as a deed. So as a result, it, because it's a deed, it erases sin and it repels them. Um, and good deeds drive away wrong, according to the Qur'an. Okay, the next point he mentions. That the dhikr of Allah, it removes estrangement, al-wahsha, between the servant and his Lord. For between a heedless man and Allah, there is an estrangement with which only remembrance can remove. You know, we alluded to this the other day, that um, sometimes we feel, when so estrangement in the sense that when you... Uh, first uh, meet someone, there's some awkwardness involved. 
there's uh, it's a, it, it can be uncomfortable uh, because you don't know who that person is. You don't know what they're about. You don't know how to speak with them. You don't know how to interact with them, right? They're a stranger, so to speak. They're a stranger. Um, but once you begin to once you begin to interact with them more and more, and your affinity to them grows, then it becomes a much more comfortable experience. We no longer call that person a stranger, right? Our parents are not strangers to us. Our children are not strangers to us. Our spouses, our our our, um, uh, our, our close friends, they're not they're not strange to us. We have uh, a deep attachment to them. There's no awkwardness. I mean, we can we can communicate with them comfortably. Uh, and that's a two-way experience, right? It's not that it's just I don't feel that you know you if if you're interacting with um, um, a stranger, both of you are strangers to each other. So the effect of Allah Taala's remembrance is that it can remove this estrangement between the servant and Allah Taala, meaning you will begin to feel more comfortable interacting with Allah Taala and speaking to Allah Taala, and you'll feel more comfortable calling on upon, calling upon Allah. You'll, you'll feel more comfortable spending some time in the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala. It removes this estrangement. And for between a heedless man and Allah, there is an estrangement with only remembrance can remove. For someone, who, for someone, let's say, who doesn't know about Allah, right? Someone who doesn't accept Allah, doesn't know about Allah, how are they going to call upon Allah, right? How are they going to know, how are they going to feel comfortable calling upon God, right? They don't, they don't know what it means. They don't know how to do it. They have, they have no prior experience with it. Um, okay, so then uh, certainly even someone who believes yet is a heedless of Allah, they just accept that there's an Allah, but they actually haven't spent time in the remembrance of Allah or in thinking about Allah or interacting with Allah. Similarly, there's this degree of awkwardness when they decide to interact with Allah. But recognize, and he's going to come to this point in a minute, that um, that this it's sort of a two-way street. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll ex- maybe we'll come to it in the next in the next part. Okay, so he says. When the servant seeks, this is the next point, and this is tying into the first one. When the servant seeks to know his Lord, his Allah, through remembrance in times of ease, the Lord will know him in times of hardship. I'll say it again. When the servant seeks to know his Lord through remembrance in times of ease, the Lord will know him in times of hardship. Meaning, that if you get to know Allah Ta'ala when you are comfortable, when you, um, just in your free time, let's say, right? Or when you are not in need of something from Allah, and you just get, you interact with Allah Ta'ala, and you remember Allah Ta'ala during that time, then you will get to know Allah Ta'ala to a particular degree. Your interaction develops. That, that, sorry, that relationship develops. Then when you need Allah Ta'ala the most, Allah Ta'ala knows you well. Now, He knows us irrespective, right? He's obviously, He's Al-Alim, He knows everything. Um, okay, let's, let's, let's try to finish this. Maybe it'll, be, uh, it'll make a little bit more sense. Um, okay, a saying with this meaning states that when an obedient servant who regularly calls on Allah is afflicted by some adversity or ask something of Allah, right? Whether it be that you're, uh, you're, you're in some difficulty or you need something from Allah, in either case. Um, the angels exclaim, quote, O Lord, a familiar voice from a familiar servant, end quote. We know this voice. We've heard it before. This isn't something new, 
right? This is someone that we've been, the angel, I mean, who's recording when you're remembering Allah Ta'ala? Although Allah Ta'ala is seeing and hearing every single thing, who's actually, what's the mechanism Allah Ta'ala has created so that that news of you remembering Allah Ta'ala is taken to Allah? It's the angels, right? So they're always witness to every moment spent in Allah's remembrance. So always, there's always a witness. Don't think that it's just you by yourself when you're remembering Allah Ta'ala. There are angels who are witnessing this and they're notifying Allah Ta'ala. So the angels are saying to Allah, O Lord, a familiar voice from a familiar servant. We've heard this voice before. This person isn't just trying to, you know, quote unquote, use you. Although Allah Ta'ala, you know, he, he, had, he can never be used, right? But this servant, this is someone who's actually called upon you before. This isn't a first timer. We know this person. Um, okay, but if, a ser- but if it is a servant who neither heeds nor obeys his Allah, then the angels say, quote, an unknown voice from an unknown servant. Who is this person? Who is this person? I don't know who this is. Imagine if it's a familiar voice from a familiar person. We know the person. We know what they sound like. We've heard this voice before. We've seen this face before. This person needs something? Absolutely, 100%. Don't worry. You know, we'll take care of it. You know, Allah Ta'ala will take care of it. The angels will, 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 will make the offer that person. Right? But if it's someone that the angels have never even interacted with before, they've never seen before, they've never heard this person's voice before, because this person was always heedless of Allah, they say, well, who is this person? An unknown, an unknown voice from an unknown servant. And, uh, so, and this is actually based off of a hadith. It's in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, um, rahimahullah. And uh, it's a very famous hadith. You've probably heard of it. But the Prophet said, uh, uh, to, he said, uh, oh, oh lad, oh young person, shall I not teach you that which will cause uh, Allah to benefit you? You know, protect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah ta'ala will protect you. Protect Allah and you will find him before you. Seek to know him in times of ease and he will know you in times of hardship. This is what this statement Ibn Qayyim is mentioning. This is based on this hadith. Seek to know Allah Ta'ala in times of Eden. Allah Ta'ala will know you when you need Him the most. Or when, you th- when, when, when it's apparent that you're desperately in need of Allah Ta'ala. So don't make, it, don't make it such that you're only remembering Allah Ta'ala when you need Him. Make it so that you're remembering Allah Ta'ala at all times. So that when you do need Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala will take care of you. In fact, you won't even need to have to ask Allah when you're in a difficulty. Right? Because you're already... Um, familiar to Allah and to the angels of Allah. They already know who you are. They already are watching over you. They're already taking care of you. Like there's this protection that's now over you at all times. So that, oh, a few days go by and you weren't able to remember Allah because of some difficulty. Let's go find out what's going on, right? So uh, a strange voice from a strange servant is a problem. We want to be someone who's known to the angels, right? We want to be someone who, we want our voices to be familiar to the angels. Okay, um, the next point. The remembrance of Allah, the dhikr of Allah, it is a way to keep the tongue from backbiting, slander, lies, lewdness, and vain talk. For a servant must speak, and if upon speaking he fails to mention Allah and his commandments, then he falls into those forbidden things, or at least some of them. The way to the only way to avoid to avoid the latter is to mention Allah. So look, uh, the tongue can be used in two ways, right? At least in terms of uh, we can say the vocal cords, the tongue, the ability to speak can be used in two ways. It can either make a sound that would be pleasing to Allah, or it can be making a sound that would be displeasing to Allah. 
And the Prophet said in a hadith, actually, let's continue here. Let's read this again. So, it is a way to keep the tongue from backbiting, slander, lies, lewdness, and vain talk. Meaning, if your tongue is engaged in Allah Ta'ala's remembrance, then you aren't going to be able to spend time in the heedlessness of Allah, or in particular, talking about other people. If your tongue is, is engaged in, the converse, in conversation with Allah, then there's less time spent in conversation about other people, right? It's a simple formula, math. So spend more time in remembrance of Allah Ta'ala, not just because it earns you reward, and not because it just draws you closer to Allah Ta'ala, but it is a way of protecting yourself from evil and lewd talk as well. In fact, the Prophet said in a hadith that, the, that every type of speech is, um, uh, is, is, will be used against a person. كُلُّ كَنَامْ إِبْنِ آدَمَ عَلَيْهِ Every type of speech by default, anything that comes out of your mouth, by default on the Day of Judgment, will be used against you. By default, it will be used against you. لَا لَهُ It's not used as a proof for you. It is by default, anything that comes from your mouth, any speech that you utter is going to, or, or in this day and age, any speech that you type or you text or you post or you tweet or you comment on, Every single one of those things is on the Day of Judgment going to be used against you. Against you on the Day of Judgment. Not for you. لا له. He says, not for you. إِلَّا أَمْرٌ بِمَعْرُوفٍ Except there's, a few, there's three categories of speech that you can uh, engage in that will not be used against you. أَمْرٌ بمعروف, So that's number one, um, uh, enjoining good. So in, enjoining good, encouraging good. Uh or or um, discouraging evil. Or the mentioning of Allah. Or the mentioning and the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala is that type of speech that will be used for you, not against you, but by default. Keep this in mind. All types of speech that you utter, that you type, that you write, that you uh, text, etc., that you post, all of these will be on the Day of Judgment used against you. So we have to think, you know, anytime we say something or anytime we type something, anytime we message something to someone or we post something online, etc., recognize, okay, this, this thing that I just posted, this isn't, you know, even if you use, what, what is a Snapchat that is supposed to disappear in 24 hours, that's not disappearing in 24 hours. Uh, or what is it, 24 hours? I don't, I don't know. Is it 24? Six hours? Whatever the time is that it's supposed to disappear... That's not disappearing. You might think it's disappearing, but that same image or whatever you typed with that image, that's going to come back to you on the Day of Judgment, and by default, it's going to be used against you. Think about that. By default, it'll be used against you. Anything that you post, thinking that, you know what, this will just be deleted in a few days, no one's going to remember it anyway. On the Day of Judgment, that's going to come back, and it's going to be used against you. Every type of speech, every type of speech is going to be used against you on the Day of Judgment. So be very mindful of, 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 your, of what comes from your tongue and be very mindful of, of you know what comes from yourself in general what what uh, you know what type of uh, of information you're you're sharing or putting up if it is not something that is enjoining good or trying to eliminate evil or in the remembrance of Allah ta'ala then it will be used against you what's the use what's the point why it's not worth it and this is why sometimes it's better to just avoid these things because you are inevitably going to fall into this trap right i mean it used to be like, I'm, 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 you know, 20 years ago, let's say, or 30 years ago, that if you wanted to commit the sin of, of speaking, like having words used against you on the day of judgment, it would be whatever came from your mouth. That would be it, or maybe what you talk when you were on the phone and you talked on the phone for a period of time. But now we've added to that. Now we have not just conversation. 
but we have so much more, right? All these other forms of writing and all these other forms of speech and all these other forms of electronic communication, all of these things are now also going to be used against us in the Day of Judgment. All of these are also going to be used against us in the Day of Judgment. It's like, it's like, it's like a different playing field now. So just be very mindful of this. It's not that you don't, you don't use these things, and you can obviously use you know, uh, the Internet and technology and social media to, to, uh, as, as much as is necessary, but it should be as much as is necessary, and that there's a limit. There's a limit for everyone, and everyone knows their own limit. But certainly, uh, if what you are mentioning or sharing or tweeting or posting, etc., if, if it doesn't fall into one of these three categories, then you can expect that, okay, fine, at least, if I'm going to put this up, let me just be comfortable with it. Let me reread it again. Is this something I could justify to Allah on the Day of Judgment? Is this what I'm about to share? Is this something that I can justify as being, does it fall into one of these three categories so that on the Day of Judgment, Allah Ta'ala asks me, okay, you said this, or you posted this, which category does it fall into? Okay, I feel comfortable. It falls into the category of the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala. Okay, it falls into the category of, you know, making someone, uh, making someone else happy, you know, for, for, for their betterment, etc. So, um, which, which would fall under, you know, Amr bi-ma'roof. So just think twice about this. Um, and uh, so he says, okay, so it is a way to keep the tongue from backbiting, slander, lies, lewdness, and vain talk, meaning engage your tongue in something that's beneficial, uh, then you will, have, you will have less to worry about engaging your tongue in something that's harmful. For a servant must speak, and if upon speaking he fails to mention Allah and his commandments, then he falls into those forbidden things, or at least some of them. The only way to avoid the latter is to mention Allah. Both reflection and experience will bear this out. A person who accustoms his tongue to the mention of Allah protects it from vain talk and chatter. But the tongue that is dry of Allah's mention grows moist with vanities, chatter, and lewdness. If you engage your tongue in the remembrance of Allah, your tongue is wet with Allah Ta'ala's remembrance. But if you engage your tongue uh, in, the, in lewd, vain talk, useless talk, uh, or harmful speech, you know, speech that is intended to slander someone else, or speech that is intended to attack someone else, and it doesn't matter if they're Muslim or if they're not Muslim, speech in general attacking anyone is a problem. There is uh, this, uh, your tongue grows moist with this. You become accustomed to it. You become comfortable with it. Rather than being comfortable and keeping your tongue moist with Allah's remembrance, you become comfortable and keep your tongue moist with the remembrance of other people. And, and that's problematic. There is, um, so, but the tongue that is dry and, uh, of Allah's mention grows moist with vanities, chatter, and lewdness. Okay, the next one, next point that he mentions. To be, to be busy with the remembrance is how Allah Ta'ala grants something better to the invoker than to those who supplicate him. I'm going to say it again. To be busy with the remembrance is how Allah Ta'ala grants something better to the invoker, meaning the one who's um, calling on Allah, than to the one who supplicates or makes dua to Allah. As the Messenger of Allah said, that Allah Ta'ala said, to one who is too occupied in my remembrance to supplicate to me. To one who's too busy in my remembrance, in my dhikr, so that they are not able to actually supplicate and make dua to me, I give what is better than what I give to those who ask. I give what is better than I give to those who ask. Look, there are people, and maybe we're not, we're not from amongst them, but maybe inshallah we will be, that are so engaged in Allah's remembrance that they don't have time to ask from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They don't have time to make dua to Allah. 
because they're that engaged in the law's remembrance. And this in particular, if someone, for instance, the, I mean, the one or two cases maybe situations where, or circumstances where I may have seen this in is, in, is someone who, for instance, is like memorizing the Qur'an, right? So what are they doing every time they recite the Qur'an? They're engaged in the remembrance of Allah. They are so busy with this. They're so busy with this that they don't have um, time to spend, you know, making dua to Allah Ta'ala and asking Allah Ta'ala for what they need because they're so engaged. Another example that I may have seen this in, if someone is a hafiz of the Qur'an, and in Ramadan, which is the month of dua, right, this is the month to ask Allah Ta'ala whatever you need, uh, a hafiz of the Qur'an who has to recite at night, they're spending the whole day reciting Qur'an and pre- preparing for Qur'an, preparing with their Qur'an. They spend their whole day just engaged in the recitation of the Qur'an so that they don't actually, their whole month, you can say, is spent reciting the Qur'an. And they don't actually have even time to to make dua to Allah Ta'ala during this month because every free moment that they have outside of, you know, let's say work or school or family responsibility, they're just right back in the Qur'an. They're reading Qur'an, reading Qur'an, reading Qur'an, reading Qur'an through a thought of time, reading Qur'an through the night, through the morning, in their drives. They don't have the opportunity to turn back to, turn, turn to Allah and make dua to Allah. So, okay, so what is that person's fate, right, when you don't get to make dua? So this is a hadith of the Prophet Wasallam that the one who is too busy making dhikr of Allah Ta'ala, they're so busy that they can't even make dua to Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala says that he gives to that person more than he'll give to the person that actually asks from Allah. That's the power of Allah's dhikr, right? So he gives more to the person that chooses to just remember Allah Ta'ala or who's too busy remembering Allah Ta'ala than to the person who actually asks Allah Ta'ala for something in dua. And there's a couple of reasons for this, right? One is that this deed of remembrance and dhikr of Allah Ta'ala is so beloved to Allah. It's such a beloved deed to Allah that when you are lost in the remembrance of Allah, such that you can't even remember to ask from Allah Ta'ala anything, that's incredible. Number two, when a person is spends time, when you're remembering Allah Ta'ala, you're essentially what you're doing is you're praising Allah, right? It's a way of praising Allah. And when you are lost in your praise of Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala is so so excited and so happy to hear the praise of him from his servant. He, he loves this so much that he gives his servant whatever the servant needs. He gives the servant whatever that servant needs. And the Prophet ﷺ said in, a, in another hadith, he said, أَفْضَلُ الذِّكْرِ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ That the best form of dhikr is to recite لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ to say لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَفْضَلُ الدُّعَاءِ And the best form of supplication, the f- best form of asking from Allah is Alhamdulillah. To say Alhamdulillah. So when you're saying Alhamdulillah, what you're doing is you're praising Allah. And if you say Alhamdulillah, and that's the best form of dua to Allah, but you say, well, Alhamdulillah is a statement. All praise is due to Allah. When I'm making a dua, my, I should be asking Allah from something. I shouldn't be making a statement. This should be a, this should be a question. It shouldn't be a statement. But how is it the Prophet was saying that this is the best form of asking from Allah something is actually the statement all praises to Allah. Because this statement is so pleasing to Allah. Or let's put it this way. Allah Ta'ala, um, when a person praises Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala takes it upon himself to take care of the needs of that person. You don't have to ask from Allah when you are, when you spend time remembering and praising Allah. Allah Ta'ala will take care of all of your needs. And who knows what we need better than Allah Himself? When we make dua to Allah, 
we are asking for something specific, right? That in our own mind, based off of our own intellectual abilities, what we think is important to us or what we think is necessary to us, we are asking from Allah. But Allah Ta'ala actually knows if that thing is good for us or if it's not good for us. Allah Ta'ala knows in general what is good for us. So when someone praises Allah or remembers Allah abundantly, Allah Ta'ala takes it upon himself to grant that person whatever that person needs. The person doesn't even have to ask. Allah Ta'ala will take care of it because he's in love with that servant. And when he's in love with his servant, he takes care of all of their needs, even if they don't specifically ask for it. Um... So this is a state that we should try to be in as well, or in particular. It doesn't mean that we're not going to make du'a at all, but we should. Uh, the believer should desire to become so beloved to Allah, and this happens through the remembrance of Allah, that Allah Ta'ala loves us so much that He just takes care of everything for us, that we don't even have to ask. Allah Ta'ala wants to give because we are now His beloved. You know, it's like the Prophet ﷺ was so close to Allah. Now, he made dua, and that dua was really so that we know, how, so that we could learn how to make dua. But he was so beloved to Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala gave him whatever he wanted, right? Like, in particular, look at the example in the Qur'an. Um, when, the, um, when the Prophet ﷺ had moved to Medina Munawwara, uh, the the qibla at the time, the initial qibla at the time was was Jerusalem. That was the direction that he would face toward the qibla, and he, the Prophet ﷺ, he had a particular affinity to the Kaaba. It's just his own personal attachment to this place. He was born there, and he had a very deep attachment to the Kaaba. And when he was in Makkah Mukarramah before migration, he would when he would pray, he would pray such that the Kaaba would be directly in front of him. But because you can pray on all four sides, he would pray on that side. Uh, between Rukun Yamani and Hajar al-Aswad, he'd pray on that side, and in that way he was also facing, he was facing Jerusalem, which was the Qibla at the time, but he was also facing the Kaaba, and this, this, he was content with that. But when he moved to Medina, we know what, now they're in opposite directions, right? One is relatively north, and one is almost due south. So he wasn't able to pray uh, in the direction that he wanted to pray. But in his mind, in his heart, he wanted to face the Kaaba. So Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, قَدْ نَرَى تَقَلُّبَ وَجْهِكَ فِي السَّمَاءِ We see your uh, uh, your, we, we see this We see your, your heart You know um, uh, uh, Your face looking toward the sky Although he's not actively supplicating Asking Allah Ta'ala to change the Qibla for him Allah Ta'ala sees what his desire is in his heart So as a result we have now changed the Qibla Such that it fits what's pleasing to you I mean think, look at that the Prophet was the beloved of Allah Ta'ala and when there was some desire in his heart, Allah Ta'ala took care of it. Such that the entire Qibla was changed. So that from, and from, from that point until the Day of Judgment, now any, any person that wants to pray, right? And there are millions of people that are trying to pray. They all face a different direction simply because of the desire that was in the heart of the Prophet So when a person becomes beloved to Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala takes care of their needs. Allah Ta'ala falls in love with them. And he and he'll do what he, he will he will um, do what he can to please that believer. And the effect of a person of Allah Ta'ala becoming beloved to a person is that all of that he forces all of creation to also fall in love with that person. 
That's, this is a hadith of the Prophet that when Allah Ta'ala falls in love with a person, He makes a proclamation. The angels are forced to fall in love with that person and then the rest of creation is told that I love such and such, you have to love such and such person as well. So that love, so, so becoming beloved to Allah Ta'ala, it, uh, it obviously is an effort um, and it, it, it becomes more likely through uh, abundant dhikr and remembrance of Allah Ta'ala. Okay, so now just repeat that point again so that it sits with us. The remembrance of, uh, sorry, um, to be busy with remembrance, dhikr, is how Allah Ta'ala grants something better to the invoker than to the one who makes supp- supplicates to him, makes dua to him. As the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Allah Ta'ala, uh, the, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says that Allah Ta'ala says to one who is too occupied in my remembrance, in my dhikr, too occupied to be able to make dua to me, I give him or her what is better than I give to those who actually ask me directly. Okay, and then inshallah, a couple more points, then we'll stop. Okay, the next, um, the Prophet uh, Ibn Qayyim mentions, remembrance is easy for the servant. Dhikr is easy for the servant. Whether he lies in bed or is on a journey, whether he's in health or in illness, whether he's in comfort or in luxury, in his, in his daily work, standing, sitting, or lying down, on his way or at home. No other act can be f- performed so often and in so many situations. Again, remembrance is easy for the servant. Whether he or she lies in bed or journeys, meaning travels, or is in good health or in illness, in comfort or in luxury, in daily work, standing, sitting, or lying down, on his way somewhere or at home, remembrance can be performed. No other action can be performed performed so often and is in so many situations. Meaning, <coughs> you don't, the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala doesn't require anything. The dhikr of Allah, it doesn't require anything on your, on your end. Meaning, uh, you can perform the dhikr of Allah whether you are um, lying in your bed whether you're traveling, right? But when you're when you're when you're moving, for instance, when you're in a car, when you're walking, etc., you can't pray during that time. You can't really read Quran. Let's say you're you're you know you're uh, going from one place to another. You need to be focused. You can't really recite. I mean, sorry, you can't plot the Quran and read the Quran. Um, you can't um, um, you can't just get up and you can't just fast whenever you want to fast, right? It's two o'clock in the afternoon. If you decide right now, I want to fast now to please Allah, you can't do it. Um, so you can do it. Uh, no matter where you are, it's independent of place. We could do it in your bed. When you're lying in bed, you could do it when you're moving about. You could literally be lying in bed and engage in the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala. You can't lie in bed and pray to Allah, meaning you can't pray Salah when you're lying in bed, right? It's You just can't do it. In addition to that, you don't even need a state of wudu to remember Allah Ta'ala, right? If you, let's say you're, you know, I don't know, let's say it's cold or you don't, you're not, you don't have a state of wudu, but you feel like you want to connect with Allah in some way, shape, or form, but you don't, you're just too tired or you're too cold to be able to make wudu and prepare for something formal to touch the Qur'an, etc. You just, in that, in that exact uh, state, you can remember Allah. It's not even just in the state of uh, 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 minor ritual impurity. Even if you require a ghusl, you can remember Allah Ta'ala in that state. right? And for, for men and women alike, for a woman who uh, is not able to pray, Right, let's say it's that time of her period, uh, that time of the month where she's not able to pray. She can engage in the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala. She doesn't have to be in a state of minor, uh, uh, sorry, she doesn't have to be in a state of ritual impurity. 
right? So this is the type of deed, this is the type of action that can be performed irrespective of a person's physical place, irrespective of a person's, you could say, a, a, a state of spiritual cleanliness as well. So the, you, the sky is the limit at that point. And this is why it's helpful to learn how to do dhikr, in particular for, for sisters, because there comes a time where they aren't able to read Qur'an in the month, they aren't able to perform salah. So then it's thought, okay, well, I'm free from all responsibilities. No, that's not the case. Right? You engage in abundant dhikr, and that's the time where you catch up on your dhikr. That's the time when you catch up on your muraqabah. That's the time when you would catch up on your uh, istighfar and your salawat, and you catch up on your tahleel, and you catch up on your, um, on your reflection and fikr and contemplation. This is the time where you are even more uh, concerned with your wuquf, uh, uh, of, of your heart. Because this is, now you're free from the other responsibilities, in fact. So now you have to engage yourself more in this. So this is why it's important to be comfortable with various forms of the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala so that you can utilize these in those times when you're not able to perform certain acts that require wudu and certain acts that require a ghusl. But it applies, you know, it applies to everyone. So he mentions in health and in illness. When you're sick, it's hard to wake up and pray. It's hard to pray in general. It's hard to pray to Hajj, certainly. When you're sick, it's hard to read Quran. Let's say you have a sore throat. Let's say you have a bad fever, right? And you're forced to just lie in bed all day. You know, that doesn't mean that you have that. So, so, but the one deed that you can still perform is the remembrance of Allah Taala. Doesn't matter how sick you are. You could be, you know, barely. You could be as long as you're conscious. That's all you really need. You could be in a hospital bed with a tube down your throat, right? Where you can't utter a word, or you can't, you know, make a, a gesture to even pray. But you can most certainly engage in Allah Taala dhikr. You could be sitting. We, we could be sitting on a bus, or you could be sitting on a plane, where you are restricted from from most forms of worship. But remembrance of Allah Taala can occur anywhere you are. It doesn't matter how physically restricted you might be. So in comfort and in uh, in comfort and luxury in your daily work, standing, sitting, or lying down. You don't have to be standing or sitting. You could be in any position. You could be lying down, and you can engage in Allah Taala's remembrance. And in fact, the people that Allah Ta'ala specifically categorizes as the people of, of the core, the people of success in this world, ulul albab, Allah Ta'ala further characterizes them in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Ali Imran. He says that the people that are of the core, meaning the people that are you know, uh, really focused in deen, are those people who, that they are people who remember Allah, again the word dhikr is being used here. There are people who remember Allah Ta'ala uh, while they are standing, while they are sitting, and while they are lying down. In any position, a person can be engaged in the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala. And it isn't something to take lightly. If Allah Ta'ala is saying that you are from the group of people that are of the core, and your uh, your characterization or, or some of your qualities is that you Remember Allah Ta'ala in every physical position you find yourself in. That's a big deal. Um, no other act can be performed so often and in so many situations. There's, again, really the only situation where you cannot actively remember Allah Ta'ala um, is really just two. One is if you're not conscious, right, which is when you're asleep and there's there's actually something to be said about that. But let's say when you're not when you're asleep or when you're ill to the point where you don't have cognitive function. Or number two, maybe when you're in the restroom, right? Where you actually are remembering Allah Ta'ala before you enter into the restroom and 
you're not actively remembering Allah Ta'ala when you're in the restroom, but passively you're actually engaged in Allah's remembrance, right? Because, for instance, when you're in the, when you're in the bathroom, it, it's not a place where you're supposed to do anything but, um, but just relieve yourself, right? So you're not supposed to take out your phone and you know, check your emails and scroll through web pages or read something. You're not supposed to talk when you're, when you're in the bathroom either. But you're con- you consciously suppressing those desires is really indirectly a way of remembering Allah Ta'ala as well. So even in that state, technically, you're, you are kind of remembering Allah. Um, but he says, okay, in fact, so no other act can be performed so often in so many situations. In fact, it is so easy that a person could sleep in their bed and still be ahead of the one who stands in worship but is heedless. A person could be sleeping in bed, but still be ahead of the person who stands, like stands in salah, but is heedless in their salah. Um, let, let me actually go back a second here. So I mentioned wuquf as uh, as the stopping wuquf al qalbi as a stopping of the heart on something, right? And this is what Ibn Qayyim is mentioning here. He's saying that. Whether you're lying in... So, remembrance is easy for the servant. Whether the person lies in bed or is on a journey or is in health or in illness, in comfort, luxury, daily work, standing, sitting, or lying down, on your way, whether you're at home. In any situation, you should be focused on Allah Ta'ala. And wuquf al-qalbi, this is exactly what it's referring to. That you imagine that your heart... Sorry, you imagine Allah Ta'ala is watching you at any given point in time. The heart is stuck on this. So, this is what's being referred to. And then he says that a person's sleep could actually be better than a person who's standing in Allah Ta'ala's worship in heedlessness. If a person goes to bed, and before going to bed, they recognize that this is an opportunity uh, for them to rest. Or, let's put it this way, if a person goes to bed and recites their dua, remembering Allah Ta'ala before going to sleep, it's as if that night is spent in the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala. Okay, so if a person before going to bed, rather than just thinking this is a negative action, where I'm actually now taking a break from the remembrance of Allah Taala, and I'm actually now going to just relax and and just you know fall on the the couch and just pass out, if a person makes this an active process before they go to sleep, that you know what, uh, I I am remembering Allah Taala. I'm recognizing that when I go to bed, my soul is going to be removed for a period of time. When I'm lying down, I'm uh, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi also engaged in this action as well. Um, this is uh, for me. Wajalna uh, naumakum uh, subata. I'm following the command of the Quran, where Allah Taala says that we have made, you know, uh, 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 sleep as a as a subata. Uh, I don't even know how to translate that properly. Um, we've made it sort of this calm, calm period of time. If we do, if we take these steps before going to sleep, then our, our sleep, the entire time we sleep, is actually time spent in the remembrance of Allah Taala. So this is why a person who sleeps uh, is in their, and, and sleeps with, uh, in the proper way could actually be outdoing someone who's praying to Allah Ta'ala in the middle of the night. Um, and this applies to really anything. You know, and uh, when a person becomes so close to Allah, most of their actions become uh, a form of remembrance of Allah. So that, for instance, when they're studying, let's say their secular studies for school, if that is done with the correct intention, if that person's already connected to Allah Ta'ala, that time spent, that hour or two hours spent, can actually be rewarded. It's as if the person's remembering Allah. Uh, the time that a person spends driving is a time spent in the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala. And this is the habit of the mashayikh. And this is why we used to, we used to say that... Um, 
you know, the time that our teachers sleep that is better than the time that we spend in our worship to Allah, right? It doesn't mean that, you know, sleep in and of itself as an action is superior to, to salah, uh, but it's how that sleep is performed, right? For someone who's engaged in Allah's remembrance and someone who's calling people to Allah Ta'ala and someone who's constantly spending their time in the remembrance of and the love of Allah and service of Allah Ta'ala and that person decides to get 15 or 20 minutes of rest, that's such a valuable period for them because that's just energizing them for more the next day. That sleep is so valuable. It's more valuable than, than us, you know, like myself. Uh, we, don't, we don't have... Um, our, our worship, it's important, but it, 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 it's not focused. It's, we're not thinking about Allah. We're in a bazillion different places. Our mind is elsewhere, etc. It's not even worth as much as you know, the sleep of, a, of, of that person. Whereas if that person were to pray for two minutes of time, they're so deep in their worship, it's worth more than you know, five hours of our salah. So anyways, this is the point that he mentions. Um, So he, he does put it in, in this qualifier that this and similar sayings, he mentions a story about similar, about someone who said that sleep of, of so, such such person is better than the prayer. He said, this and similar sayings have beneficial and detrimental aspects. If they lead someone to think that by lying in bed that they can surpass a person who stands in prayer, then they are false. Meaning you don't think that this deed in and of itself is, is actually superior. Rather, they refer to the one who lies in bed, but their heart is attached to their Lord. The love of their heart cleaves to the throne. So... The person, when they're sleeping, passes the night encircling the arsh of Allah Ta'ala with the angels. Ibn Qayyim is saying this. Uh, the man himself, so the person himself, has passed away from the world and what it contains. The only thing that keeps that person from standing in prayer is some hindrance, such as physical pain, cold, or fear, or being seen by someone pursuing him, or some other excuse. They lie in bed, but Allah Ta'ala knows best what's actually in their heart. Right? Meaning... Who knows where where they actually are? If they had the ability to stand up and pray, they, this is you know, they would be doing it. But they're just not performing the physical actions of prayer. But when they're resting in bed, they're doing everything else equivalent to salah. Um, the other person, like someone like like our, like ourselves, myself, however, stands in prayer and recites. In their heart is the desire to be seen by others, to impress other people, to have some rank or to have some praise from them, um, or. If not that, at the bare minimum, their heart is in one place and their body is in another. And Allah Ta'ala knows what's best in their heart. So we'll stop here, inshallah. Um, may Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala um, uh, grant us, grant uh, you and I the tawfiq to implement uh, the teachings that were contained, that are contained within this work. And uh, may Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala uh, make, the remembrance of Allah, make the remembrance of Him a means for us to clean, cleanse and polish our hearts and a means for us to derive away sin from our body. May Allah Ta'ala make us from amongst those servants who, whose, voice, whose voices are familiar to His angels, whose face is familiar to His angels. Um, may Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala um, make uh, every action of ours, irrespective of the position and circumstance we find ourselves in, pleasing to him and in his remembrance.